And now, live from Atlanta, Georgia, everyone's social media friend, it's Deb Creer. Every week, Deb talks with the movers and shakers, the experts, the best of the best in social media, bringing you all of the latest tips, techniques, and trends for successfully using social media. In social media, there's only one constant, Deb Creer. Good morning, good morning, everyone. I am Deb Creer. I'm the socialite, and I am passionate about working with professionals to show them how to use social media as a tool to promote themselves and their businesses. But as I sometimes do, we branch out a little bit from that, and today we're going to have a great time because we are going to be talking about just a great business topic that works for a single-person business, a hundred person business, a thousand, a hundred thousand business. And, and you know, that's what fascinates me so much about this. So we're going to be talking with Gordon Treadgold. So welcome, Gordon. Thank you for having me on the show. My pleasure. Great. Well, you know, for those who, who don't know who you are, let me tell folks just a little bit about you. So Gordon Treadgold has worked in transformational leadership roles for over 20 years, running $100 million plus programs, leading $200 million plus global operations departments, and implementing large, complex organizational change programs for Fortune 100 companies. And he is also the visiting professor at Staffordshire University. As you could probably tell, Gordon was born in Leeds in the United Kingdom. He graduated in mathematics at Manchester University. He's married with four children. He's a sports fanatic, but I'm guessing his football fanaticism is different than my football fanaticism. He loves travel, fine dining, cinema, and photography. But back to his qualifications. Gordon was selected by Inc. Magazine as one of their top 100 great leadership speakers. He is the number one leadership expert to follow on Twitter. So see, we get social media back in there. He was selected by Inc. Magazine as one of their top 100 leadership and management experts in 2014. He was selected by Evan Carmichael as the number one leadership expert to follow on Twitter for the last 10 months. He has over 400,000 followers on social media. That's Facebook and Twitter. He has the number two top 15 must-read leadership blogs and number four top 50 most socially shared leadership blog. So again, Gordon, welcome. Well, welcome to, uh, as well. And I just want to correct something that you said there. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a diehard Green Bay Packers fan. Ah. Since, since the early 80s. I Great. Packers when they were rubbish. That's how far back. Well, you know, I'm I'm from Colorado, so I bleed Bronco Orange. Um, you know, and, and when we have a quarterback called Peyton Manning, it does make life a little easier. <laughs> Although he does seem to be uh, struggling a little bit at the moment. But, but I, I saw an interview with him today, and I like his humor. He's, you know, yes. we talk about humbleness of leaders. And, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. You know, Tom Brady's great, but, you know, Peyton Manning's really uh, a humble right. guy. Yeah. And, and the same with Aaron Rodgers as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. I really like uh, I really like Peyton Manning. Well, and, and, you know, he, he definitely is a, a leader. And one of the things that I learned about him and, and, you know, so this, this actually fits into this, this conversation when he first went to be a Bronco, you know, his family was still in Indianapolis. And so he actually lived at Bronco headquarters. They set up a, a little place down there for him. And one of the things that he told them was he wanted a photo and a bio for every single person who worked for the Broncos not just the, the, the management, not just team. He wanted the people in the mail room. He wanted all of that because he studied it just like he would the playbook. He wanted to be able to go up to any person there and be able to talk to them and know who they were. And to me, that really was the, the mark of a great leader. And I think we see that lacking in so many companies. And sometimes it's you know lacking in a company that has 10 employees, yeah. let alone something the size of, of a major football organization. Well, what I like about that is that he, he clearly wants to be able to recognize the, the people in the non-footballing world for right. their contribution. You know, you are part of this club. I mean, it goes back to yes. that old story of the guy sweeping the floor. Somebody mm -hmm. asking him what you're doing, and he said, I'm helping the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers win the Super Bowl. Yes. And it, if you have everybody pulling in the same direction, 
Mm -hmm. You know, this is one of the principles of fast. If you get everybody pulling in the same direction, you will achieve astounding results. And, right. and with the approach that Peyton's taking there, you are looking at getting everybody on the same page. Mm -hmm. and, right. and I don't know if you have you ever heard of a gentleman called Sir David Brailsford? I have not. So he he was the uh, elite sports director for the uh, Great Britain cycling team and also took over the um, British Tour de France cycling team. And, oh, okay. And he took them from being mediocre to, you know, winning, they won something like nine out of 12 gold medals. And the way he did it was 1% improvements in everything. He identified mm -hmm. the best pillows for a comfortable night's sleep and then made sure that everybody took them with them because if mm -hmm. they sleep well, they'll get up fit and they'll be able to train. Got right. them using hand sanitizer to try and mm -hmm. you know reduce the amount of colds and things they had. And mm -hmm. when you take that one percent view, you, you the culmination of it can be massive. And right. again, back with the Patriot with the Broncos organization, there might be some little things that the the staff can do mm -hmm. to help the players, which if they don't get the recognition, they they might, you know, they might just mail in the effort that Right. but if they mm -hmm. feel that they're really contributing to it, mm -hmm. now, you've got, now you've got everybody on the same page now you've got everybody pulling forward and it, it makes a big difference to the results, especially when it gets close and tight, that 1% right. is the difference between mm -hmm. success and failure. Well and so many times that support staff they catch things, you know, they, yeah. they see things that, that nobody else sees. So maybe they're seeing that, you know, hey, if the mail was delivered in the morning as opposed to the afternoon, we could get so much more done. Or, you know, it's the IT person who realizes, you know, that, that we don't have the fastest network. And when you recognize their importance and then, of course, empower them to say, hey, you know, we, we should should make these changes. It really, you know, those little things really can add up to make a, a huge difference. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's a couple of philosophies uh, in and around this area, and one that I see in a lot of companies which I disagree with is that they spend all of their effort on supporting the top ten percent of the organisation. They have a, mm -hmm. they have a belief that the top ten percent achieve ninety percent of the of the results. So. Mm -hmm. Let's take care of that top ten percent, and if we do that, you know we'll we'll be we'll be golden. But if you do mm -hmm. that, you you're ignoring ninety percent of your organization. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, if you improve the other ninety percent by one percentage point, mm -hmm. which is a lot easier than trying to get ten people to improve by ten percentage points. You're mm -hmm. getting the same amount of benefit, and if you get the other ninety percent to improve by ten percent. Holy cow. You've mm -hmm. just got nine times the benefit. Right. Mm -hmm. And right. I, I'm a firm believer in get everybody pulling in the same mm -hmm. direction because that's yep. really where, um, that's where the magic happens. Yes. And, well, and, and when you don't have everybody pulling towards the same thing, you know, it's, it's those little people who are unhappy that can cause so much problem. Well, there's a lot of studies uh, done that show that uh, over 70% of employees in the U.S., and the U.S. is a little bit lower than the worldwide average, 70% of employees are either disengaged or even mm -hmm. worse, actively disengaged. Right, And, right. you know, what Peyton did there is, is an attempt to get 100% of the people engaged. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, you know, if you're the guy that just cleans out the toilets and Peyton Manning comes on and says, hey, Bob, how are you doing? How's the wife and kids? Mm -hmm. You know, that's a level of recognition that you would never right. expect to get. That's mm -hmm. going to put a spring in your step and make it work mm -hmm. that little bit harder. Yep. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and it seems silly. You know, you're, you're thinking, well, you know, a, a cleaner toilet, but it, it has this spiral effect yeah. or, you know, it's, it's like throwing the, 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 the stone into the, the pond. Yeah. You know, it, it, all these ripples start coming out. So when the toilet's clean, well, then this part gets done better. And then when that's better, then that thing gets done better. And, and it's that whole thing that really does, you know, one little thing, that 1% can make a huge difference. Yeah, it comes, it comes to the philosophy that um, Rudy Giuliani used when he was mayor of New York, the broken window philosophy. If if we, mm -hmm. if we start to stop people breaking windows, 
it will actually have a ripple effect on crime over, overall. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you fix some of the little things and mm -hmm. then drives the, the bigger things to get done. And, it, and right. a lot it's right. about respect of, of people and making mm -hmm. them feel valued. And, uh, you know, those are, those are key things to, in, in, in terms of leadership. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, you talk about a lot of this in your new book, which is FAST, Four Principles Every Business Needs to Achieve Success and Drive Results. And FAST is actually an acronym. So before we get into that, tell us, though, why you decided to write this book. So one of the reasons, one of the reasons I decided to write this book is because that, you know, um, there's not really a polite way to say this, but, you know, there's a lot of people that get results and they're assholes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have this big movement of authentic leadership, genuine leadership, and, and trying to get nice people to lead. But, mm -hmm. but if nice people can't get results, then they're going to get replaced because at the end of the right. day, results matter. And, I, and I, wanted mm -hmm. to, I wanted to share the approach that I'd found that helped guarantee results so I could share it with the people who are, you know, nice leaders, genuine, authentic, who want to lead in the right way, who mm -hmm. weren't getting the results. Because when we do that, you know, one of the things about working for an air hole is that they might get the job done, but nobody ever wants to work with them again. Right. And they have big turnover yeah, and, absolutely. you know, all sorts of things. And it, it, it's it's not a pleasure. And one of the things that I found, you know, and people can, if they don't believe me, they can go and read through uh, my uh, testimonials on LinkedIn where, you know, people actually wrote and said it was amazing how much fun Gordon made this work, even though it was a royal pain in the butt. And, mm -hmm. you know, if if People wanted to work with me, and they wanted to work. They wanted to work with me because it was pleasurable, but they also wanted to work with me because we got the results. So I wanted to give people the tools so that they could get the results as well. And it doesn't really—it's not a change of lead, um, leadership style in a personal way. It's much more, you know, a functional leadership. You can still be genuine and authentic but focus is about making sure you're focused on the right goal so that doesn't change your character your charisma the way you interact with people and how you are it just changes some of the things that you do and the way you approach the the actual solution rather than uh, the, the people aspect of it and when you get the people aspect of it because this is going to be my next book is actually faster which is about mm. once you apply fast to get the results you then use engagement and recognition to actually start making that become repeatable and sustainable and mm -hmm. if you're if you're a really genuine leader that people like to work with and you get results your company's going to love you your your customers are going to love you and the people that work with you are going to love you and they're actually going to come and enjoy coming to work so Mm -hmm. That that was my motivation behind uh, writing this. Right. Well, as I mentioned, FAST, F-A-S-T, is an acronym. So tell us what each of them are and what they stand for. And then let's go into to each one specifically and, and give us some tips about those. So what does FAST stand for? So FAST, it, it is an acronym, but I didn't come up with the acronym and then try and figure out what it meant. <laughs> right, it right. actually... I was very fortunate and I came up with the process and then the acronym just fit, which was uh, mm -hmm. divine intervention, I, uh, I suspect. And how I came up with FAST was spending a lot of time. I, was, I got a reputation for turning things around. And what I found mm -hmm. was that the more things I came in and had to turn it around, you have to figure out what's failing and then fix it. And the things that were failing were a lack of focus a lack of accountability, a lack of simplicity, and a lack of transparency. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my simple way of thinking, because everything I do uh, is underpinned by simplicity, if you fix the four things that cause failure, then you're going to be on a path to success. And so those four things, focus, F, accountability, A, simplicity, S, transparency, T, mm -hmm. gives us fast. And Focus is about the what. What is it we're trying to do? What does success right. look like? What is our objective? 
And mm -hmm. we absolutely have to get that right. If you get, if you don't get the focus right, then everything else is irrelevant because you're just mm -hmm. aiming at the wrong target. No matter how hard you work, no matter how good a shot you are, you're going to miss because you're mm -hmm. aiming at the wrong target. And then accountability is about the who. Who's going to do the work? How are we going to hold them accountable? Have we communicated to them what their job is? And I'll give you an example of that. I turned up at the airport. And I said to my wife, uh, have you got the passports? And she said, no, have you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, mm -hmm. mm, clearly we didn't agree who was going to pick the passports up. So that, that involved a quick U-turn, frantic mm -hmm. drive back home, managed to get there in time. But you know, that was just a breakdown in communication of who was doing what. Mm -hmm. And it had nothing to do with ability. It was purely about uh, communication. Right. And then simplicity is about the how. How are we going to achieve the goal? Have we kept it as simple as possible? Have we communicated it as simply as possible? And then transparency is about how far. How far do we have to go? Have we done the due diligence so we know what's involved? Mm -hmm. And are we measuring our actual performance so we can see how far we've come, our mm -hmm. schedule, and how far do we have to go? It's like having a GPS for your project or your business. You know, if you know the journey's an hour, 20 minutes in, you should be able to tell, are you on track or do you need to speak up right. in order to get there? So focus, what, accountability, who, simplicity, how, transparency, how far. These are not new principles. No. I think the way I pull them together simply is what makes this uh, new and interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's talk about each one in depth. So, so the first is focus. And as I was reading your book, it was funny because I was thinking, mm-hmm, I've worked with those people or we know about those people who, you know, they, they have their business goals or their project goals and they're so nebulous, you don't know either when you failed or when you succeeded. You know, I like the people who say, I'm going to earn more. Yeah. Okay, is that by $10? Is that, you know, and and, and they don't focus and there's, you know, obviously several components to, to focus, but you know, what are those you know, components and, and where do you see companies go wrong in ways that are really pretty easy to fix? So I think, I think there are a couple of things that cause us to go wrong. wrong. One is we have too many focuses, too right. many goals and too many priorities. And if you take a priority, um, something like, you know, if, if it's a large organization, let's say it's a $1 billion organization, and, and, I, and I use that just because of the scale of that company. If you say that our goal is to make 10% profit, then that one goal is probably going to break down into multiple goals for different departments. Mm -hmm. So if you, if it, let's say it breaks down into 10 different goals. So you had one goal and now it's become 10. So if you, if you write down five top-level goals, that can break down into 50 goals. Wow. And 50 goals mm -hmm. is just not manageable. So we need mm -hmm. to keep that top number as small as possible. And a company that I worked with last, Henkel, we had three goals for a 48,000 staff company, and they were 14% profit, 3 to 6, mm -hmm. three to 5% organic sales growth, and then um, percentage of earnings from uh, emerging markets. Those mm -hmm. three goals were enough to drive the entire company. And people used to say, oh, three goals aren't enough. But if you, if you look at those three goals, 14% profit, you know, that drives, that turns into a sales target for the sales mm -hmm. organization. It turns into a cost target for, you know, all of the functions, IT, HR, purchasing. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, those three goals, whilst three doesn't sound a lot, it still broke down into an awful lot of goals. And if you... If you go with more than three, then you're going to end up swamped. Mm -hmm. People aren't going to know uh, what to focus on today. And I think the other thing that we, we get is the, the, the pressure that we work under. And even if you've only got one or two goals, we need to be careful that we don't rush in too quickly. Because when we mm -hmm. do that, we can, we can make mistakes and, and end up focusing on the wrong thing. I mean, I don't know if the rest of your listeners like me, but I was an absolute genius, but I never got a hundred percent in any exam because right. I mm -hmm. so quickly 
you know, mm. they would, the, the question would say something like, list three things that didn't cause the revolution. And I would like, okay, li list three things that caused a revolution. I'm right. Like, mm -hmm. Wait, but now I'm answering the wrong question. Because I, mm -hmm. I just didn't take the time to, you know, study it and get it right. Einstein says, if he had an hour to save the world, he'd spend 55 minutes understanding the question and five, right. five minutes on the answer. Whereas the general mm -hmm. approach tends to be spend five seconds on the answer, on the question and then dive into solution mode. So we mm -hmm. need to step back a little bit. Peter Drucker says leadership uh, management is about making sure we do things right. Leadership is about making sure we do the right things. Mm -hmm. Leaders have to, have to find that time to step back, slow things down a little bit and make sure that we're aiming at the right goal. Mm-hmm. Well, and then, of course, we have the other problem of, of focus where we try and do too much. Yeah. You know, we, we've seen the companies that overexpand or have too many products or, you know, I, I teach people how to use social media. And one of the things, though, you know, I frequently have them come up to me and, and you know, the, the, their little eyes are crossing already. And they say, well, I can't be on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and blah, 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 blah. blah. And I'm like, OK, stop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, pick one. Yeah. And they look at me and almost always say really and I tell them yeah find the one that you like the most so you're the most familiar with and go from there yeah. you know once you've mastered one then add another one not you've mastered one add 10 you know just just do it slowly and and we've become that society where we are multitasking you talk in your book about you know trying to read emails and watch tv and do this and do that at the same time and none of it gets done well. Absolutely. You know, it gets done maybe average or mediocre, but it's not done well because we aren't focusing. Correct. And the other thing I would say about social media is that if you're an entrepreneur, you need to know who your market is. Because mm -hmm. if your market's predominantly women, then you're probably better off looking at Pinterest. Right. And Facebook. If your market's corporates, then you need to be on you need to be on LinkedIn. So mm -hmm. you know Figure out who your tribe is, where they are, and then mm -hmm. focus. And you and you can't focus on everything. I personally, I focus on Facebook and and Twitter. And mm -hmm. you know, with with Hootsuite, you you can attack both of them. But people say right. to me, "What about Instagram and Pinterest?" I say, like, yeah, "I can't keep up with Twitter and Facebook." Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. how am I going to do more? Yeah, I'm already running too fast, and you now mm -hmm. want me to speed up and run more. No, that it, it, it doesn't work. And we need to as well, we need to make sure we get some quiet time as well because with when we get interrupted, we're 50% we're uh, less productive. So we need right. to find some quiet time. And one of the things that uh, I've mentioned to a few people now is um, we, we absolutely have to have clarity of our goals because there's, there's research that's been done, and I, I just can't remember the lady that did it at one of the universities in, uh, I think it was in the Northeast. She, she did a study that showed that if you write your goal down, you're 42% more likely to hit it. Right. Now, if you don't know what your goal is, mm -hmm. how are you going to write it down clearly? And as you say, you can't just write down, I want to earn more. I want to mm -hmm. be thinner. I want to be richer. You know, that doesn't work. And the other thing that she showed in her research, which was absolutely amazing, was that if you share your goal with somebody else, then mm -hmm. that probability <clears throat> increases 78%. So right. you've got to be able to articulate it well in order mm -hmm. to share it, because the person you share it with needs to understand it. Mm-hmm. Well, and... You know, if you're in a big company, obviously you're sharing with your employees, but if you're the entrepreneur, the one person, well, you probably, you have friends, you have business associates, there are people you can share this information with. Well, I would, I would actually challenge what you said there ah. because uh, uh, I, I agree with that last part. It, it, it was the mm -hmm. first part you said, I can't okay. tell you how many companies I've been to especially small solopreneurs, where they don't tell their staff what the goals are. Right. Mm -hmm. I spoke to one and, and they said, well, why should I tell them? It's, you know, it's my private goal. It's my company. It's because you want them to help you. Mm -hmm. and, and if they don't know what your goal is, and, and this, uh, the, the goal was they wanted a certain number of attendees at an event, if you mm -hmm. don't tell them that you're looking to target 
five times as many as you had at the event last year. How would they know? Right. They think you, you had 200 last year. We're on for 210 this year. Woohoo. Success. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, you were, we were, I was actually planning for 1,000. It's mm-hmm. nowhere near. But if they don't know that, then how, how can they be involved and commit right. to it? Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, you certainly can't then blame them. Oh, and 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 the bad part is, of course, that that does happen. Yeah, just, um, you, you know, it's it's like you know, telling your 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 child, don't you know, you 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 you're thinking, don't do that, but then you don't tell them, don't do yeah. that. Well, then you can't punish them when they you know don't meet those expectations. And it's the same thing with employees. Yeah. You know, if your goal is a thousand. Uh, attendees or increased profits of 14% or, you know, cost savings of 25%, whatever it is, you can't then, now, and you, you shouldn't punish them, you know, when they don't meet it. But, you know, it's, it's the other way around too. You need to be able to share success with them when they do meet those goals. You know, maybe you wanted an increase in 14% and they hit 20. Well, holy cow, you know, that does deserve to be rewarded. Well, the other thing, the the other aspect of that is in that example we're talking about where you had 200 attendees last year and you mm-hmm. haven't told them it's a 1,000 and they get to 210 and they're sat there waiting for the right, right. pat on the back. And you mm-hmm. walk past them with a face like thunder. And I'm like, what have I done? Mm-hmm. I thought we'd been successful. Right. And the, you, know, you just put me in a position where they're demotivated. And another thing we need to do is if you're running a restaurant, that you could have a couple of goals. You could just have a revenue goal or you could have a customer satisfaction goal. One mm-hmm. way you're looking to get as much repeat business as possible. And mm-hmm. now a customer complains about their meal. Now, if, you, if, the, if the waiter doesn't know which of those two goals, they can't know whether to cross everything off the bill mm-hmm. is the right thing to do because you want that person to come back. Or, right. you know, we're, we're only interested in the revenue, apologize, take the money, and uh, who cares whether they come back. So, you know, we, we have to let them know what the priorities, is, priorities are so they can mm-hmm. make the right decisions when they're interacting with customers. Right. You know, and, and you mentioned the word priorities because I think we've all had the, the boss or, you know, we've worked for somebody who, you know, maybe you report to several different bosses and every single thing they give you is top priority. Yeah. How do you get past that? <laughs> or can you? I mean, you know, that, that sometimes is the thing is you, you, you just have to figure out a, a workaround. But, yeah, I mean, they, we've all been there. It takes courage because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Depending on on uh, on your boss, I remember my boss told me these are your six number one priorities, and, <laughs> and I had to go back to him and say, "Look, this isn't going to work." I, right. You know, at one point, I got to a, a stage where I could only do two of them, and I said to him, mm-hmm. "Look, I can only do two now with two options. I cannot tell you that, and I'll mm-hmm. pick two, mm-hmm. and they could be the wrong two, or you could pick the two we'll do, and then you'll get what you want." Or you can shout at me and insist you get all six and you're just going to end up with one. So those are your three options. Mm-hmm. Could I vote that you tell me the two things you really want? Yes. And, mm-hmm. you know, but that's a, that is a very difficult question to have with, uh, with your staff. And it's interesting because this is a great link back now into accountability. Because yes, accountability perfect. is about who and how are you going to hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. And... If you tell me that you want me to make you a trouser suit by the mm-hmm. end of today, go on, get on with it. And the fact that I don't have a sewing machine, I've never sewn in my entire life. I have no clue what your measurements are. There's just no way this is going to happen. And you can't delegate accountability to me. You know, right. I, I have to say, okay, yep. I'll do that. So, you know, you kind of have to have that dialogue of, I want you to make my trouser suit. Do you have a sewing machine? Yes. Mm-hmm. Have you ever done this before? Yes. Do you have my measurements? Yes. Do you know the color and style I'm looking for? Yes. Is there anything else you need from me? No. When you mm-hmm. hear that no, then that person's accepted accountability. Mm-hmm. If you just say, here are six priorities, go on and go and do them, and you don't hear anything, you cannot assume that they've accepted 
accountability and I'm going to deliver all six. It doesn't mm -hmm. work that way. Accountability is an agreement. And, and for an agreement, it requires dialogue and understanding whether mm -hmm. the people have got the tools. And good leaders know that and will have that conversation. And if, if you can only do four of the six, then we'll make the agreement to just do four of the six. Mm -hmm. And if I, if I insist on all six, even though I know you can't do them, then um, that's not good leadership. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, you mentioned the word courage and, and, you know, some things like that. You know, I talked about empowering yeah. before. You, you, you do have the employees who you tell them, here are the six things you need to do, and they just scuttle off yeah. because they're afraid. They don't care, you know, that all of these various things. And or they, they just don't think, gee, you know, maybe I need to go back to my boss, Gordon, and say, okay, Gordon, we need to have a sit down here because I can only do three of those six. I can only do two well. And then, then you can have those conversations of, hey, you know, why don't we talk to, to Sue? Because she can do five and six yeah. and she's really good at that. And, you know, and, and that's where good, you know, we kind of touched on this, but I want to get more into it. There is a very big difference between managers and leaders. Yeah. You know, the managers delegate, the managers just say, go do the leader is the one who wants and expects that input from from the people that they're working with. Yeah, I, we we have to put people in a in into a position where they can be successful, and when we do mm -hmm. that, they will surprise us by being successful. My mm -hmm. experience is people are not afraid of hard work; they're afraid of failure. And if you don't show right. them how to be successful, then even if they could potentially figure it out. Mm -hmm. If they don't do, if they don't figure it out, they're going to fail. So leadership, and especially servant leadership, it's about supporting your team, putting mm -hmm. them into a position where they can succeed. And when you do mm -hmm. that, that's when you start to get accountability. That's when mm -hmm. you start to get empowerment. That's when you start to get the team respecting and trusting you. And also what your team will do is, if you and I agree that you can only do three out of six, and you can only do two of them well, You'll go away. And if at any point something in that changes where you figure out, actually, I'm doing great here. I think I can do four. You'll come back and tell me. Or mm -hmm. figure out it's actually harder than you thought. You'll come back and give me enough time to tell me, look, I can only do two of these. If you need a third one, then you need to get somebody else. Mm -hmm. And too often what happens is people come five minutes to the deadline and say, sorry, I'm only halfway through. And now, as a leader, there's nothing you can do. Right. You know, you're staring failure in the face. But leadership mm -hmm. defines culture. We have to put people into a safe environment where they feel comfortable about coming back and telling us. And I am a, I am a tough leader because I always want people to do better. And right. I'll push them to do more. And that's not mm -hmm. a question of you know, working harder and longer. It's about showing them how they can achieve more mm -hmm. by, you know, by simplifying things, by just tweaking the way they work. And even though I do that, because I have that approach of, you know, if, if you've got an issue, you know, come and let me know at any time. I'm here to help you because accountability rests with me. Mm -hmm. If you fail, I fail. If you succeed, mm -hmm. I succeed. So my number one goal is to help you be successful. And if you, if you create that kind of environment, it, it completely changes the dynamic of the organization. They become engaged. They become empowered. And, and you know, this is where, again, this is where the magic happens. Mm -hmm. You know, you had some stats in your book that just really surprised me. And, and they were the stats that were talking about how many projects people go into expecting them to fail you know and, and it was an astounding number i mean it's not that you know they think five percent is going to fail yeah. it was like it was it was like what 70 percent 75 percent of people <gasps> on projects that failed knew it would fail before mm -hmm. it started and there's a couple of aspects with that one they should put their hand up and say you know what we need a bigger ball this mm -hmm. this isn't going to work so there's mm -hmm. a degree of accountability there, but if, if as a leader you haven't created a culture where they feel comfortable, then mm -hmm. that, that's not going to happen. And then secondly, as a leader, we should ask them, 
guys, do you think this is going to work? Mm-hmm. And we have to be open to them coming back and saying, no, I don't think right. so. And you know, when I when I decided to run my first marathon at 52, fat, unfit, never run a marathon, wasn't even a runner, my two best friends said to me, uh, we need to tell you this isn't going to work. <laughs> you're too old. You're too unfit. You don't run. Too fat. You know, forget mm-hmm. it. And I said to them, but I have a plan. And they said, okay, tell, tell us your plan. And mm-hmm. I talked to them about the plan, how over 24 weeks I was going to start by running 15 minutes. And then every week I would increase it by five minutes. So I'd be running 20 minutes the next week, 25, 30, 40, mm-hmm. 45, 50. And now after 24 weeks, if I followed the plan, I'd be at four and a half hours. And they looked at me and they said, you know, that's not as crazy as it sounds. Right. We'll come, mm-hmm. and, we'll come and do it with you. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you have to, you know, you, you have to let them challenge it because it allows you to explain to them why you think it will work. And you can't mm-hmm. just bully them into it. Mm-hmm. That won't work. You have to be able to, you know, convince them with the with the logic of it and, and let them see how, how it's going to work. And when people believe things are going to work, probability of success just goes through the roof. And on those projects, when, when 75% of the people knew before it started it was going to fail, the dynamic that that sets up is very interesting. Right. If you're on something that's going to fail, as soon as it starts to fail, you just nudge each other going, see, I told you. I told you. Mm-hmm. So, told you so. Watch this mm-hmm. now. Watch it. We're going to hit the rails. Mm-hmm. Boom. If you think it's going to succeed and it starts to slide off the rails, you're like, what's going on? What's going on? Quick, quick, quick. Everybody help. Run, mm-hmm. run. Pull it back. Pull it back. Mm-hmm. And it's a completely different dynamic because you, you believe it's going to work. So when you see things failing, you try to correct it. Whereas if you believe it's going to fail, you just pull up an armchair and you just spectate and, uh, and watch the failure because you knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. But you've actually precipitated that failure. It becomes right. a self-fulfilling and prophecy. Yes. You know, and, and when, you, when you're planning for it to fail, you do the minimum amount of work. Well, I, you know, if you're planning for it to succeed, you're thinking, what can I do to make this succeed? One of the things I always tell people is that, you know, if I've got a, a really, really tough project and, you know, people are telling me I need to work seven 14-hour days and I believe I'm going to fail, I have two options. I can work 14 hours a day, seven days a week and fail. Mm-hmm. Or I could sit by the pool reading a book, sunbathing and sipping pina coladas and mm-hmm. failing. I'm going to go with option two. Right. I, I like the pool option. Yeah, because we're going to fail anyway. I'm, mm-hmm. You know, I don't, mind, I don't mind breaking a sweat for success, but if we all know it's going to fail, then, mm-hmm. you know, let's, let's take it easy. I was, right. I was talking to somebody about, we were talking about, if, you know, if we had a plan to fight Mike Tyson, and he said that his plan to fight Mike Tyson would be, as soon as the bell rings, he would trip over his laces and lay down for 10 seconds. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oops, done. I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, but you might you might get a lucky punch off. He's like, no. That's, no, that's, no. no. You know, I might, I might not. Mike Tyson might hit me back. If I just lay down, it's the same result and it's a mm-hmm. and it's a lot safer. And, yeah, my jaw's still in one piece. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. My nose isn't spread all over my face. This mm-hmm. is this is a kind of failure I can cope with. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the the next acronym in in your book is the S, and that's for simplicity. And I think this was one of the things that struck me the most when I was reading your book, because we over plan. We try and think of every contingency, every, and part of that is because, you know, we're kind of thinking, well, it could fail. So we, we are coming up with all of these things. And so many times we pass up the simplest, smartest way to do stuff. So it's interesting you say that because I didn't. Inc- I don't think I included this in the book, but if I was to revise it now, I would do. And this is that our brains are incredibly powerful, incredibly mm-hmm. powerful. And if we start to think about why things are going to fail, we will find hundreds of things, and then mm-hmm. we'll have to put plans in place to fix all of them. Whereas if we actually say, you know what, I'm going to ignore that and what I'm going to think about is what do I need to do 
to be successful, mm-hmm. now your brain is looking for for shortcuts. Right. And and when you when you do that, you're actually reducing the amount of work that you do because there are a hundred things that could go wrong. And and probability is they're not all going to go wrong. But if you create a contingency plan for the 10 things that you think would go wrong, of which only one probably would, you've just now done a ton of wasted work. Mm-hmm. And you'd have been better off putting that effort into focusing on shortcuts and uh, getting things done. Mm-hmm. Well, and I've also seen in companies, and, and you know this tends to be the, the bigger companies, they don't want simple because then there's the impression that, well, maybe I'm not needed. So I have to make this project look like it's something that's going to take, you know, seven days a week, 14 hours a day, when it really could be done in three hours. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's it's the kind of, you know, I'm going to justify my existence by making this project so big. And that comes back to the leaders. Yeah. You know, if, if the leader has said, you know, and not the manager, the leader you know, okay, we we can do more stuff if we get that one out of the way. You know, there's 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 definite benefits to finding the simplest approach. Yeah, and I used to see that a lot with outsourcing. Um, you know, we would outsource the commodity work, the simple work, and people would try and make the work that they did look so technical so that mm-hmm. we couldn't outsource it. But the company I worked for didn't have an intention to lay people off. We were, mm-hmm. we were in a growth stage, and what we wanted to do was we wanted to move people from the doing into the thinking. Mm-hmm. But people couldn't see that, so they made the doing as complex as possible to stop us from outsourcing it. Whereas what we wanted to do was to move them into the into the thinking part, and you know it, it was it was actually counterproductive and, and actually kept them in what you know what ultimately became lower paid jobs. So it wasn't really uh, productive for them. And I think I think experts have a tendency to try to make things overly complex. And sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes it's you know, I don't know if you've got any lawyers listening, but I sometimes feel that legal stuff is written in such a way that I need to pay a lawyer to translate it to me. Right. Mm-hmm. When you know, could you just write? I mean, I speak English. Could you at least write it in English that I could understand? Mm-hmm. And one of the, you know, one of the things that Einstein says, you know, he said a couple of things on simplicity, and one of them was, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it. But mm-hmm. he also said that simplicity is the ultimate in sophistication. Mm-hmm. So you actually, you you can actually show how brilliant you are by making things simple. Mm-hmm. If you make things complex, you might think you're making yourself look really smart, but. Uh, I actually don't. I don't believe that that's the case. It's actually counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, it's, it's funny as as you were talking about that. I was thinking about my favorite TV show, which is The Big Bang Theory, uh-huh. and and of course, Sheldon makes everything as complex and as complicated as possible. But part of that is that's just the way his brain works. And then you know, poor Penny looks at them and goes, "Huh." And then somebody else will explain it to her in five words. And she's like, oh, okay, well, now I understand. <laughs> and, you know, and it's not that Sheldon was trying to make it complicated. That's just kind of how he is. But, you know, we, we have seen the, the, the people who do that, whether it's that, you know, you have a doctor who's explaining something to you or, you know, the, the boss, the, the, the manager, you know, the, you're working for a new client and they get things so complicated. I always tell people, you should be able to explain it to someone who knows it absolutely nothing about yeah. it enough so that they could at least get the general idea. I mean, you know, you're not going to explain nuclear fission to somebody who doesn't know all of that, you know, but you can get it down to some pretty basic levels. So, if, so I completely agree with you. And the example that I would give is that you're, you're a brain surgeon. Mm-hmm. You, you, you should be able to explain to me what you're going to do so I can understand. You are not mm-hmm. going to be able to explain it in a way that I could do it because I'm not a brain surgeon. Mm-hmm. You, you could mm-hmm. at least tell me, you know, we're just going to do an incision here. There's a tumor here. We're just going to mm-hmm. cut around it and, and pull it out. Okay, I get that. I couldn't do right. it, but I now understand what it is you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, explain in a way that people can understand it because that, you know, it builds trust, it builds confidence. And the thing I always tell people is challenge your experts because 
if they're the ones that are tasked with coming up with the solution, if they can't explain it simply, then they probably don't understand it. And if they don't understand it, the solution they're proposing isn't going to work. Right. You know, and, and as the, the person explaining it, you know, we should be able to look at the person we're talking to. And when we see either their eyes glaze over <laughs> or they, you know, all of a sudden they're checking Facebook on their phone or, you know, they're, they're, clearly they're either not paying attention or not understanding. That's when you stop and you say, OK, what did you not understand? <laughs> and, and of course, you have to do it in a way that you're not being condescending like Sheldon <laughs> But, you know, it's like, okay, now, where did I lose you? Yeah. Let's, let's take a step back and, and let's, let's go from there. And I was really fortunate when I was younger. I, uh, I did a degree in mathematics. And uh, I remember my mother telling me, she was asking me, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm trying to study, I've got an exam in quantum mechanics and I've got a problem that I just cannot solve. And she said to me, well, let me help. <laughs> I was like, now, you didn't scoff at her, did you? I said, you? Mom, you're a nurse. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to question your intellect, but I've been mm -hmm. studying this for right. 10 weeks. You mm -hmm. haven't been to any of the lectures. You haven't read any of the books. Mm -hmm. And she said, yeah, but maybe if you explain it to me, you might end up understanding it yourself. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know what? Wow. I'm prepared to give. I, I'm desperate enough. To mm -hmm. believe that this might mm -hmm. just work, and and as I train, as I tried to explain it to my mum, she said, "No, I'm not getting it. No, I'm not getting it." And I kept, I kept taking it, you know, down lower levels of abstract mm -hmm. until it was so simple she could understand it. And it was so simple, not only could she understand it, that I figured out that I actually understood it right. now. I was in a position to go and answer the question. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and of course, we're not talking about making people feel stupid. No. You know, because, of course, we've all had those type of managers, yes. too, that, you know, you're you're so stupid. Why don't you understand yeah. this? Well, then I really want to make their project successful. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but, you know, it, it is it, it comes back to that empowering, that trusting, you know, all of those various things that, that good leaders really have. Yeah. And I was just writing an article on this today about that. You know, it's a lot of it's to do with the power of belief. And if people believe things, and I'm, I'm just about to run, I was about to run a marathon in uh, 10 days' time. I was going to run in Key West, and mm -hmm. I, I completely changed my training program. And about a week ago, I was looking at it, and, and, and the training program I used to do before, it was running four times a week. And because I've now run uh, six marathons, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm running five and six miles four times a week. And then I just build up every Sunday, seven, eight. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. miles. But I, I, I did a new training program that didn't do that. And it had me mm. running mixes of 20 minutes and 30 minutes. And I was looking over the training program and I thought, my God, over the last three months, I've only run over 90 minutes twice. Ooh. And I've got to run a marathon and it's five mm -hmm. hours. Mm -hmm. And the temperature in Key West is going to be 87 degrees. And 100% humidity. Yeah. I can't do this. Mm -hmm. So I've actually now decided that, you know, I've, I've cancelled my participation in that because I, you know, could I do it? Maybe, but I actually don't mm -hmm. believe I could because, you know, I've moved from Germany to Florida, which is a huge, a huge. Oh, very shock. different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a huge shock. You know, within, I, I, break a, I, I break a bigger sweat getting changed to Florida <laughs> mm -hmm. and I run right. for two or three hours. Mm -hmm. And I actually haven't run. Uh, during the summer, more than two and a half hours. And at the end of the two and a half hours, I was completely dead. So I've now mm -hmm. followed the training plan that I don't believe was appropriate. So I'm mm -hmm. actually not going to run in that race, even though I've run six marathons. And even though I'm the most determined person in the world and could probably find a way, mm -hmm. I don't believe it. Right. I don't believe it. And, and this is why as leaders, we have to be able to explain things simply to Mm -hmm. that belief and and then you have to go back to that question where we ask our teams do you believe this will work and if their mm -hmm. answer is no then we either need to do some further con convincing or we need to change that plan mm -hmm. we get a plan that they believe in now we're in a position to be successful mm -hmm. well and, and i think that is sometimes where people have problems is 
they've they've got the plan, they've got the buy-in, they've got the support, and then something changes, but they don't change the plan. Uh, you know, and and that tends to be you know something you know. So maybe it was that you were counting on you know this great employee. You know, I I wrote a proposal one time that was. It was uh, back when we were in the in when I lived in Colorado, and it was a very specific program for doing public relations for child abuse for uh, awareness. And one of the people on my team that was his specialty. You know, he was a social worker. That was everything he had trained in. You know, we were among the top you know handful of people that was going to be called for interviews and and all of these various things. So we'd gone pretty far in the process. And I get this oh by the way from him. I've taken a full-time job and I can't do your project anymore. And, you know, now the bad part was he had known he was going to do that. And so that was rather annoying. Yeah. But then I had to have the, the, the inner discussion with myself. Can we proceed? And that was no. You know, we did not have that knowledge to be able to proceed. And we, we you know, we certainly weren't going to be able to bluff our way through it. So we, you know, the, the plan changed to just completely go away. But you know, we have to be able to, to adapt and to change because there's all sorts of things that happen. You know, uh, we talked about football at the start. You know, Dallas Cowboys were a lot of people's pick for the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. No DeMarco Murray, no Des Bryant, no Tony Romo. Right. You know, that, <clears throat> they, that's three out of 53 players that are, off, mm -hmm. are now off their roster. 50 of the squad are still there. Mm -hmm. The belief that they've got any chance of making the Super Bowl are practically nil now. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about the last acronym or the, the last part of FAST, which is the T, and that's transparency. And, you know, why is it so important that leaders are transparent? And, and exactly what does that mean for them to be transparent? So for, there's two aspects of transparent. One is about being open and honest and no agenda. Mm -hmm. And that is important, but that's not what I'm talking about here because FAST is about getting results. And whilst being open and transparent is important, it's not as key as having transparency into the performance. And we need to know what what it is we need to achieve, and we need to be tracking our progress mm -hmm. against it. Because if you're if you're going to go on a diet to lose ten pounds in ten weeks, you know we the way we could do this. If I was coaching you, you could email me and tell me how you were feeling. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the ten weeks, we're either going to be surprised or we're going to be disappointed. Right. Or I could have you in my office every Monday on the scales. Mm -hmm. And at that point, there isn't going to be any surprise or disappointment because every single Monday, we're going to know where you are. Mm -hmm. And after five weeks, if you've lost five pounds, great, this diet's working. We just need to keep doing what we're doing. If the diet isn't working, then maybe we need to go from this six pancake breakfast that you're on to something <laughs> a little bit more, you know, a little bit healthier. And Mm -hmm. The reason for transparency is it allows us to hold people accountable. Mm -hmm. If I can see that you're not, if your your weight's not going down, then I can say to you, "What's going on here? You know, what are you going to do to get mm -hmm. back on track?" And it also allows us as leaders to be fair and not be subjective. Mm -hmm. I'm a massive sports fan, and mm -hmm. one of the things I love about sports is the transparency. At the end of the season, we don't sit down and say, "Okay." What do you think? Do you think the Dallas Cowboys played well enough to, to make the Super Bowl or, the, or make the playoffs? No, there's a league table. Mm -hmm. we, we know that they were 4-12 and 12 and then right. going or they're 12-4 mm -hmm. and, and they're a wild card or they're 12-4 and four and they won their division. We've got absolute transparency and it allows us to be fair with people in how we deal and treat with them. There is no subjectiveness it's purely objective and we mm -hmm. need to have regular review meetings and a lot of people don't like to hold people accountable because they feel it's objective uh, mm -hmm. it's it can be personal and it can be a little bit too subjective but if you've got clear tracking you can sit down you don't need to talk about the result you can just say okay what do we need to do to turn this around 
-hmm. And it allows you to go into a conversation where you're either, one, giving positive feedback and praise, which is going to push them forward, or two, you can say, okay, what do we need to do? How can I help you turn this around? So you need mm -hmm. that transparency because you need to know what you're doing and what does, how far do we have to go. And mm -hmm. We also need to be able to track and monitor the performance. Another mm -hmm. area of transparency which is key is, you know, for entrepreneurs is pricing, 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 pricing. If you don't mm -hmm. know what the cost is, how can you determine what the price should be? Right. We need to be making data-based decisions. Everything should be an objective decision. We shouldn't be selling it for $10 because our competitors are selling it for 11 and we can undercut them. We should be selling it for $10 because we know it costs us 3 mm -hmm. and we can make a $7 profit and still undercut our competitors. Mm -hmm. So we need to be making data-based decisions. So we need transparency for that, transparency into our progress so we can make data-based decisions and transparency into things like costing cash flow so that we can also make decisions as we go. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, to me, it's also about that leader needs to be the, you know, they're not just the figurehead, you know, and, and maybe this just kind of ties with the, the entire theme of the book on how to be a good leader yeah. is that it's not, you're telling people what to do and then you're going back into your ivory tower office they see you in the trenches. Um, you know, you're you're down there. Maybe you're not actually doing the work, but you're there. You know, they they see that you're there. They see that you care and that you're engaged. And you know, how many times have we had the the boss, and I'm using that as the ugh term, um, where yeah, they've they've said you will do this, you will do this, and maybe they did have good goals. They knew what the focus was. You know, they had simple you know processes, all those things. But then they go away. Yeah. And, you know, and then you're like, okay, well, you know, it, it, it breaks down very quickly. So just tying this all back together now and bringing it right back <clears throat> to your first comment about um, Peyton Manning. Peyton, mm -hmm. Peyton Manning does his best work on the, on the pitch. Mm -hmm. But he still took the time to go and get the names of all of the people in the teams, in the organization, so that even if it wasn't during game time, he could make a connection with them and right. build that relationship so that when he actually did need them, mm -hmm. they would be there for him. And, and mm -hmm. it's not necessarily about, you know, when you're in the trenches going and, you know, being polite to the kit man. You almost have need to have done that beforehand. Mm -hmm. Build the emotional, you know, pay deposits into the emotional bank account with every single employee and getting to know them all and knowing their first name will do that. And this is what leadership's about as well. It's about that, you know, making the connections with everybody so that when you need them, they're going to mm -hmm. be there for you. If, right. if you've never spoken to the kit guy throughout the entire season and then on the day of the Super Bowl, you need him to get in his car and go 20 miles to bring you your favorite pair of cleats. Good luck with that. Right. He's, you, he might not even answer the, the call, right. let alone do it. Yeah. Screw, right. screw you. You don't, uh -huh. you don't mm -hmm. talk to me for a year and now I'm key to your success. Mm -hmm. right. I don't think so. Well, and to me, and, and you know, we're, we're both big sports fans. It comes back to that team mentality. Yeah. You know, there, there really is no I in team and, you know, and, and, and it is about, you know, really valuing everybody. Team first. Leaders should yep. put team first. Yep. If you put the leader first, then that, you might, you might achieve success, but that team won't play for you the following season. Definitely. They'll all be on waivers and they'll be uh, sitting out their contracts. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been absolutely fabulous. I have been talking with Gordon Treadgold about his book, Fast, Four Principles Every Business Needs to achieve success and drive results tell us how they get the book and how they connect with you online i think we need to say four principles that every football team needs right? that's it yes because well. <laughs> except we want the broncos to win <laughs> go broncos so people can get in touch with me you know I, I said i keep things simple you can get in touch with me at gordontreadgold.com or you can follow me on twitter at gordontreadgold Perfect. You know, that's, that's the easiest way to do it. The, the way to find me is debcreer.com. And, you know, and, and all my social media links are, are there, all those various things. 
Gordon, this has been an absolute delight. It's one of those where time flew so fast that we just have to have you on again, especially when you write faster. <laughs> we, will, we will definitely have you back. So I'm Deb Creer. To everyone out there, have a great day, and we'll talk with you again next week. Thanks for listening to Deb Career, your social media friend. Tune in next time to listen to more great tips, techniques, and trends for using social media. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.